This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of hallux valgus from the foot and ankle section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Hallux valgus, commonly referred to as a bunion, is a complex valgus deformity of the first ray that can cause medial big toe pain and difficulty with shoe wear. Diagnosis is made clinically with the presence of a hallux that rests in a valgus and pronated position. Radiographs of the foot are obtained to identify the severity of the disease and for surgical planning. Treatment can be non-operative with shoe modifications for mild and minimally symptomatic cases. Surgical management is indicated for progressive deformity and difficulty with shoe wear. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as demographics, hallux valgus is more common in women. Risk factors for hallux valgus can be broken down into intrinsic risk factors and extrinsic risk factors. Intrinsic risk factors include a genetic predisposition. Keep in mind that 70% of patients with hallux valgus have a family history. Another intrinsic risk factor is an increased distal metaphyseal articular angle, or DMAA. Ligamentous laxity, which can manifest as a first tarsal metatarsal joint instability. Another intrinsic risk factor is a convex metatarsal head. Second toe deformity slash amputation. Pes planus, rheumatoid arthritis, and cerebral palsy. Extrinsic risk factors include shoes with a high heel and a narrow toe box. Moving on to etiology, two forms exist for hallux valgus, adult hallux valgus as well as adolescent and juvenile hallux valgus. The pathoanatomy of hallux valgus involves valgus deviation of a phalanx that promotes varus position of the metatarsal. The metatarsal head displaces medially, leaving the sesamoid complex laterally translated relative to the metatarsal head. The sesamoids remain within the respective head of the flexor hallucis brevis tendon and are attached to the base of the proximal phalanx via the sesamoidophalangeal ligament. Know that this lateral displacement can lead to transfer metatarsalgia due to the shift in weight bearing. The pathoanatomy also involves the medial MTP joint capsule becoming stretched and attenuated while the lateral capsule becomes contracted. Know that the adductor tendon becomes the deforming force. Remember that the adductor tendon inserts on the fibular sesamoid and lateral aspect of the proximal phalanx. Know that lateral deviation of the EHL further contributes to deformity in hallux valgus. Plantar and lateral migration of the abductor hallucis causes the muscle to plantar flex and pronate the phalanx. Finally, know that the windlass mechanism becomes less affected in the setting of hallux valgus, which leads to transfer metatarsalgia. Associated conditions with hallux valgus includes hammer toe deformity and callosities. Finally, moving on to juvenile and adolescent hallux valgus, factors that differentiate juvenile-slash-adolescent hallux valgus from adults include that juvenile and adolescent hallux valgus is often bilateral and familial, pain is usually not the primary complaint, there is varus of the first metatarsal with a widened intermetatarsal angle that is usually present, the distal metatarsal articular angle, or DMAA, is usually increased, and know that juvenile and adolescent hallux valgus is often associated with a flexible flatfoot. As far as complications of juvenile and adolescent hallux valgus, recurrence is the most common complication in greater than 50% of cases, as well as overcorrection and hallux varus. As far as relevant anatomy, be sure to review the pathoanatomical cascade of hallux valgus on orthobullets.com or the Bullets app. Moving on to the presentation of hallux valgus, as far as symptoms, this condition presents with difficulty with shoe wear due to the medial eminence, pain over the prominence at the MTP joint, and compression of the digital nerve may cause symptoms. On physical exam, the hallux rests in a valgus and pronated position due to the deforming forces. Be sure to examine the entire first ray for first metatarsal phalangeal range of motion, first tarsal metatarsal mobility, callus formation, as well as sesamoid pain slash arthritis. 
Also, be sure to evaluate for associated deformities like pes planus, lesser toe deformities, as well as midfoot and hindfoot conditions. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a standard series that should include weight-bearing, AP, lateral, and oblique views. Know that a sesamoid view can be useful as well. Findings on radiographs in the setting of hallux valgus includes lateral displacement of the sesamoids, and joint congruency as well as degenerative changes can be evaluated. Know that certain radiographic parameters can guide treatment, so the radiographic measurements to know in the setting of hallux valgus includes a hallux valgus angle, or HVA, intermetatarsal angle, or IMA, distal metatarsal articular angle, or DMAA, and hallux valgus interphalangeus, or HVI. So the hallux valgus angle is measured from the long axis of the first metatarsal and the proximal phalanx, and this identifies MTP deformity. Know that normal is less than 15 degrees. The intermetatarsal angle, or IMA, is between the long axis of the first and second metatarsal. Normal is less than 9 degrees. The distal metatarsal articular angle, or DMAA, is the angle between the first metatarsal long axis and a line through the base of the distal articular cap. Note that the DMAA identifies MTP joint incongruity, and normal is less than 10 degrees. Finally, the hallux valgus interphalangeus, or HVI, is the angle between the long axis of the distal phalanx and the proximal phalanx, and normal is less than 10 degrees. Moving on to treatment of adult hallux valgus, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes shoe wear modifications, pads, spacers, and or orthoses. This is indicated as the first line of treatment. Know that orthoses are more helpful in patients with pes planus or metatarsalgia. Operative options include surgical correction. This is indicated when symptoms are present despite shoe modification. However, be sure to not perform a surgical correction for cosmetic reasons alone. The technique for surgical correction can include a soft tissue procedure, a distal osteotomy, a proximal or combined osteotomy, a first TMT arthrodesis, fusion procedures, or an MTP resection arthroplasty. A soft tissue procedure is indicated in very mild disease in a young female, although this is almost never done. A distal osteotomy is indicated in mild disease with an IMA of less than 13. A proximal or combined osteotomy is indicated in more moderate disease with an IMA of greater than 13. A first TMT arthrodesis is indicated when there's arthritis at the TMT joint or if there's instability. Fusion procedures are indicated in the setting of severe deformity slash spasticity slash arthritis. Finally, an MTP resection arthroplasty is only indicated in elderly patients with low functional demands. Moving on to the treatment of juvenile and adolescent hallux valgus, this can be non-operative or operative as well. Non-operative management includes shoe modification, and as far as indications, be sure to pursue non-operative management until the physis closes. Operative options include surgical correction. Operative options include surgical correction. And as far as indications, it's best to wait until skeletal maturity to operate on these patients. Remember, you cannot perform a proximal metatarsal osteotomy if the physis is open. However, a cuneiform osteotomy is okay. Surgery is indicated in symptomatic patients with an IMA of greater than 10 degrees and an HVA of greater than 20 degrees. Consider a double metatarsal osteotomy in adolescent patients with an increased DMAA. As far as the technique, know that soft tissue procedures alone are not successful, and the technique is similar to adults if the physis is closed, except in the setting of severe deformity. Now let's talk about some of these surgical techniques in a bit more detail. Starting with soft tissue procedures, the one to know is the modified McBride. This is indicated when the goal is to correct an incongruent MTP joint, that is the phalanx is not lined up with the articular cartilage of the metatarsal head. 
This is usually done in patients with an HVA less than 25 degrees, an IMA deformity less than 15 degrees, and is usually done in a patient 30 to 50 years of age. A modified McBride is rarely appropriate in isolation and is usually performed in conjunction with a medial eminence resection, a metatarsal osteotomy, as well as a first tarsometatarsal arthrodesis, otherwise known as a lapidus procedure. The technique for a modified McBride includes release of the adductor from the lateral sesamoid slash proximal phalanx, a lateral capsulotomy, and medial capsular imbrication. Note that the original McBride included a lateral sesamoidectomy. Moving on to metatarsal osteotomies, the ones to know include a distal metatarsal osteotomy, a proximal metatarsal osteotomy, a double osteotomy, which includes proximal and distal osteotomies, and a first cuneiform osteotomy. So a distal metatarsal osteotomy is indicated in the setting of mild disease, which is defined as an HVA of less than or equal to 40 and an IMA of less than 13. Know that distal metatarsal osteotomies include a chevron osteotomy, a biplanar chevron osteotomy, which corrects the DMAA, and a Mitchell osteotomy. Know that a distal metatarsal osteotomy may be combined with a proximal phalanx osteotomy, for example, an Aiken medial closing wedge osteotomy. Moving on to proximal metatarsal osteotomy, this is indicated in the setting of moderate disease, which is defined as an HVA of greater than 40 degrees and an IMA of greater than 13 degrees. Proximal metatarsal osteotomies include a crescenteric osteotomy, a broomstick osteotomy, a Ludloff osteotomy, and a scarf osteotomy. A double osteotomy, or a proximal and distal osteotomy, is indicated in the setting of severe disease, which is defined as an HVA of 41 to 50 degrees and an IMA of 16 to 20 degrees. Finally, a first cuneiform osteotomy is indicated in the setting of severe deformity in a young patient with open physis. Moving on to a proximal phalanx osteotomy, the one to know is the Aiken osteotomy, which is indicated in the setting of a hallux valgus interphalangeus, a congruent joint with a DMAA of less than 10 degrees, and as a secondary procedure if a primary procedure like a chevron or distal soft tissue procedure did not provide sufficient correction due to a large DMAA or HVI. Some authors perform an Aiken together with slash at the time of a proximal osteotomy plus a distal soft tissue correction because this results in progressive increase in the HVI. Moving on to fusion procedures, the ones to know include a lapidus procedure, which is a first metatarsal cuneiform arthrodesis with a modified McBride, and another option is an MTP arthrodesis. A lapidus procedure, again which is a first metatarsal cuneiform arthrodesis with a modified McBride, is indicated in the setting of severe deformity, that is with a very large IMA, arthritis at the first TMT joint, metatarsus primus varus, a hypermobile first TMT joint, and concomitant pes planus. Moving on to an MTP arthrodesis, indications are hallux valgus in the setting of cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, rheumatoid arthritis, gout, severe degenerative joint disease, and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Finally, moving on to a resection arthroplasty, the one to know is a proximal phalanx or Keller resection arthroplasty. As far as indications, this procedure is largely abandoned, however, is rarely indicated in some elderly patients with reduced functional demands. Now, let's go over some surgical indications for specific conditions. So in the setting of juvenile slash adolescent hallux valgus with an open physis, the surgery to perform is a first cuneiform osteotomy. In the setting of a hypermobile first metatarsal, this is an indication for a lapidus procedure. In the setting of degenerative joint disease, this is an indication for an MTP arthrodesis. In the setting of skin breakdown, this is an indication for a simple bunionectomy with a medial eminence removal. In the setting of gout, this is an indication for an MTP arthrodesis. In the setting of recurrence with pain in the first tarsal metatarsal joint, 
This is also an indication for a lapidus procedure. In the setting of rheumatoid arthritis, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, these are all indications for an MTP arthrodesis. Now, let's talk about surgical indications for various techniques to treat hallux valgus. So for mild hallux valgus, which is characterized as an HVA of less than 25 degrees and an IMA of less than 13 degrees, you will do a distal metatarsal osteotomy, specifically a chevron osteotomy or a biplanar chevron osteotomy if the DMAA is greater than 10 degrees, and this is usually done in conjunction with a modified McBride. For moderate hallux valgus, which is characterized as an HVA of 26 to 40 degrees and an IMA of 13 to 15 degrees, you will do a proximal metatarsal osteotomy plus or minus a distal osteotomy. Specifically, you will do a chevron slash modified McBride plus an Aiken osteotomy or a proximal metatarsal osteotomy and a modified McBride. For severe hallux valgus, which is characterized as an HVA of 41 to 50 degrees and an IMA of 16 to 20 degrees, you will do a double osteotomy for a DMAA of greater than 15 degrees. Specifically, a proximal metatarsal osteotomy plus a biplanar chevron osteotomy, modified McBride, or a lapidus procedure plus an Aiken osteotomy. In an elderly slash very low demand patient with severe hallux valgus, you can do a Keller resection arthroplasty, and finally, in the setting of a juvenile slash adolescent with a DMAA of greater than 20, you will do a double osteotomy of the first ray. Now, because it's tough to keep all of these foot procedures together in your mind, let's go through them again, but specifically review the techniques, indications, and complications for each. We'll start with the modified McBride, which includes release of the adductor from the lateral sesamoid slash proximal phalanx, a lateral capsulotomy, and a medial capsular imbrication. This is indicated for a 30 to 50 year old female with an HVA of 15 to 25 degrees, an IMA of less than 13 degrees, and an HVI of less than 15 degrees. The complications are recurrence and hallux varus. Moving on to the original McBride procedure, this included a lateral sesamoidectomy, however this has now been abandoned. So therefore it's never really indicated now, and the major complication is hallux varus. Moving on to a chevron osteotomy, this is a distal first metatarsal osteotomy, which is intraarticular, and know that you can perform this in two planes, aka a biplanar distal chevron osteotomy, but this is reserved for mild to moderate deformities in adults and children. And remember, a biplanar chevron is used to correct an increased DMAA. The major complications are AVN of the metatarsal head, recurrence, and or dorsal malunion with transfer metatarsalgia. Moving on to a Mitchell osteotomy, this is a distal first metatarsal osteotomy, and this is extra-articular, unlike a chevron osteotomy, and by definition, it will be more proximal than a chevron. The indications for a Mitchell osteotomy is basically the same for a chevron. It is reserved for mild to moderate deformities, however, it is rarely utilized. The major complications are recurrence, malunion, and transfer metatarsalgia. Moving on to an Aiken osteotomy, this is a proximal phalanx medial closing wedge osteotomy that is combined with chevron osteotomies and moderate to severe deformities, as well as hallux valgus interphalangeus. Moving on to scarf, Ludloff, or Mao osteotomies, these are metatarsal shaft osteotomies that are indicated for an IMA of 14 to 18 degrees with a DMAA that is normal or increased. The major complications include dorsal malunion with transfer metatarsalgia and recurrence. A proximal crescentric or broomstick osteotomy is a proximal metatarsal osteotomy plus a modified McBride, and it is indicated for severe deformity, so we're talking an IMA of greater than 20 degrees and an HVA of greater than 50 degrees. Complications can include hallux varus, dorsal malunion with transfer metatarsalgia, and or recurrence. 
A calorisection arthroplasty includes medial eminence removal and resection of the base of the proximal phalanx. However, this has largely been abandoned due to complications. It is really only indicated in older patients with reduced functional demands. Complications include a cock-up toe deformity and poor potential for correction of the deformity. Moving on to an MTP arthrodesis, this is indicated in moderate to severe hallux valgus. It's also indicated for degenerative joint disease of the first MTP and or painful callosities beneath the lesser metatarsal heads. Moving on to a lapidus procedure, this is a first TMT joint arthrodesis with a distal soft tissue procedure like medial eminence removal, first web space release of the adductor hallucis, and lateral capsule release. It is indicated for moderate or severe deformity and or hypermobility of the first ray. Complications may include non-union, which may or may not be symptomatic, and or dorsiflexion of the first metatarsal with transfer metatarsalgia. Finally, a first cuneiform osteotomy is an opening wedge osteotomy that often requires an autograph. It is indicated for children with ligamentous laxity, flat feet, and a hypermobile first ray. It's also indicated in adolescents with an open physis. Complications include non-union, which may or may not be symptomatic. Now, let's finish this review session talking about complications. The ones to know include recurrence, avascular necrosis, dorsal malunion with transfer metatarsalgia, hallux varus, cock-up toe deformity, second metatarsal transfer metatarsalgia, and neuropraxia. Starting with recurrence, know that the most common cause of failure is insufficient preoperative assessment and failure to follow indications. For example, failure to recognize DMAA greater than 10 degrees, inadequate correction of the IMA, and failure to do an adequate distal soft tissue realignment. Know that recurrence is more common in the juvenile-slash-adolescent population. It's also seen in a non-compliant patient that bears weight, a rounded shape to the first metatarsal head. It's also seen in the setting of a residual tibial sesamoid lateral displacement, increased preoperative IMA and HVA, as well as failure to perform a lateral release of the adductor hallucis tendon. Moving on to avascular necrosis, Know that medial capsulotomy is the primary insult to blood flow to the metatarsal head. Distal metatarsal osteotomy and lateral soft tissue release in conjunction do not increase the risk for avascular necrosis. Know that a chevron plus a lateral release was thought to increase the risk in the past. Moving on to dorsal malunion with transfer metatarsalgia, this is due to overload of the lesser metatarsal heads, and the risk is associated with shortening of the hallux metatarsal. This can be seen in the setting of a lapidus procedure, as well as proximal crescentric osteotomies. Moving on to hallux varus, this complication is caused by overcorrection of the first intermetatarsal angle, or IMA. It's also caused by excessive lateral capsule release with over-tightening of the medial capsule, over-resection of the medial first metatarsal head, and lateral sesamoidectomy. A cock-up deformity is due to injury of the FHL and is the most severe complication with the Keller resection arthroplasty. Moving on to a second metatarsal transfer metatarsalgia, this is often seen concomitantly with hallux valgus. Know that a shortening metatarsal osteotomy or a whale osteotomy is indicated with extensor tendon and capsular release. Finally, as far as neuropraxia, know that painful incisional neuromas after bunion surgery frequently involve the medial dorsal cutaneous nerve, which is a terminal branch of the superficial perineal nerve. It is most commonly injured during the medial approach for capsular imbrication or metatarsal osteotomy. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. A 53-year-old woman has had progressive hallux valgus deformity of her right gray toe for the last 12 years. She has failed non-operative management, including shoe modifications and padded inserts. 
Her surgeon recommends a lapidus procedure, which is a first metatarsal cuneiform arthrodesis. Which of the following is an indication for this procedure? And the choices are 1, an intermetatarsal angle of 12 degrees, 2, hallux valgus angle of 40 degrees, 3, age of greater than 50 years old, 4, flexible cavovarus deformity, and 5, first tarsal metatarsal arthritis. The correct answer to this question is 5, first tarsal metatarsal arthritis. So a lapidus procedure is the fusion of the first metatarsal cuneiform joint and is the treatment of choice for patients with instability or arthritis at the first TMT joint. To quickly review, hallux valgus is a complex deformity of the first ray in which the hallux rests in a valgus and pronated position. Pes planus, lesser toe deformities, and midfoot as well as hindfoot conditions must also be evaluated for in these patients. Treatment options for hallux valgus are immense and depend on the level of deformity and associated conditions. Fusion procedures such as the lapidus, that is a first TMT fusion, are reserved for patients with severe deformity, which is defined as an HVA of 41 to 50 degrees and an IMA of 16 to 20 degrees, or hypermobility slash arthritis of the first TMT joint. Additionally, patients with concomitant pes planus deformities or systemic diseases such as Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, cerebral palsy, or Down syndrome may also benefit from primary arthrodesis. Easily, et al., review the operative management and outcomes for patients with hallux valgus deformity. They report that over 100 procedures have been proposed for hallux valgus, but that the severity of the deformity mainly dictates treatment. They conclude that patient-specific outcome scores are not influenced by the degree of correction, the magnitude of the preoperative slash postoperative deformity, or the procedure performed. Robinson and Limbers reviewed the modern concepts in the treatment of hallux valgus. They report on the numerous procedures and their indications including the lapidus procedure. They conclude that the lapidus procedure is indicated in patients with severe deformities, for example, an IMA of greater than 20 degrees, ligamentous laxity, or degenerative changes at the first tarsal-metatarsal joint. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, intermetatarsal angle of 12 degrees is incorrect as this is considered mild to moderate disease and can be treated with a metatarsal osteotomy. Answer 2, hallux valgus angle of 40 degrees is incorrect, as this is moderate in severity and does not on its own necessitate arthrodesis. Answer 3, age greater than 50 years old is incorrect, as treatment is dictated based on the severity of disease and other systemic conditions, not age. Finally, answer 4, flexible cavovarus deformity is incorrect, as concomitant pes planus deformity, not flexible cavovarus deformity, is a reason to consider arthrodesis. And moving on to the final question, a 56-year-old male presents with pain over the medial eminence of his first metatarsal head. He has failed conservative management. He has minimal pain with first MTP range of motion and no hypermobility is noted at his first tarsometatarsal joint. A radiograph of his foot demonstrates moderate severe hallux valgus with an increased hallux valgus angle and intermetatarsal angle. There is subluxation of the sesamoids and rotation of the metatarsal head into pronation. The IMA is measured at 16 degrees. What is the most appropriate surgical plan? and the choices are 1, modified McBride alone, 2, proximal osteotomy, 3, distal osteotomy, 4, proximal osteotomy with a modified McBride, and 5, first MTP arthrodesis. The correct answer to this question is 4, proximal osteotomy with a modified McBride. So the most appropriate surgical plan would include a proximal first metatarsal osteotomy with a modified McBride procedure, given the widened IMA. To quickly review, there is considerable variability in surgical treatment to correct hallux valgus, with numerous procedures described. 
Soft tissue balancing procedures and distal metatarsal osteotomies have traditionally been used to treat mild hallux valgus deformity. For moderate deformity, more proximal metatarsal osteotomies are typically employed. Proximal osteotomies or a first TMT arthrodesis are used for severe hallux valgus deformity. In the presence of a first MTP arthritis or inadequate soft tissues, a fusion of the first MTP joint may be performed. Newer techniques such as the triplanar TMT corrective arthrodesis are emerging and hold promise, but long-term follow-up studies are needed to compare them to traditional corrective procedures. Robinson et al. review the treatment concepts for hallux valgus. In part, they discuss soft tissue correction with the modified McBride. The modified McBride procedure is a distal soft tissue procedure mostly used as an adjunct with another hallux valgus corrective procedure such as proximal osteotomies and a lapidus procedure. Easily et al. review current concepts in operative treatment of hallux valgus. They note that surgical intervention should be reserved for those individuals who have failed non-operative treatment due to either persistent problems with shoe wear or pain. The appearance of the foot in the absence of other symptoms is not an indication for surgery. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, a modified McBride alone should not be used in isolation to treat hallux valgus as evidence shows inferior results and high recurrence rates. Answer 2, a proximal osteotomy is incorrect as a modified McBride procedure should be combined with a proximal osteotomy to help reduce the IMA as well as the sesamoids which can result in a lower rate of recurrence. Answer 3, a distal osteotomy is incorrect, as a proximal osteotomy should be utilized given the severity of the deformity, although there is newer evidence to suggest that a distal chevron osteotomy with a long plantar limb may be as efficacious as a proximal osteotomy in correcting moderate to severe hallux valgus. Finally, answer 5, first MTP arthrodesis is incorrect, as this patient does not have evidence of arthritis at the first MTP joint, therefore arthrodesis is not necessary. That's all for this review about hallux valgus. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.